Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS and app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So last week we mentioned at the end how we were going to tell this week tips and, and stories and setups of how to run your own Linux servers. Uh, because this is now, you know, in the wake of the Parse announcement last week, this is now kind of in the news. And we think it's kind of a core competency that many app developers should know uh, just how to run your own servers. And, and once you know this, it, it enables your apps to be better, uh, to be more capable. And and if you if you do kind of a standard server route without doing these like kind of more abstract proprietary services like Parse, it gives you a lot of flexibility with what you can do in the future, um, and it kind of decouples you from depending on a particular third party to keep their their platform going. Yeah, and this is probably a fair disclaimer to say this is going to be an episode that goes a bit into the weeds, like down yes. at some pretty low-level stuff, and if that's for you, awesome. If it isn't for you, you know, maybe stick around. You might learn something and know that, you know, some some episodes are going to be high-level, some episodes are going to be low-level, and hopefully we can have a nice balance um, as a result. So at a high level, it's probably worth starting of just kind of talking about the the spectrum of hosting um, before we kind of end up over why we do it the way we do it. So ultimately, hosting in many ways comes down to levels of abstraction, like how abstracted away the like the actual computer that you're running your servers and your backends and systems on, um, how much that is abstracted away from you. So like at the lowest level, you have the, what I think it would be called co-location or something like that, where you have a computer that's like your computer that you went to Best Buy or whatever to buy, and you're taking it and you're putting it somewhere, typically in some kind of data center that you put in a data center so that it has reliable power and reliable internet and reliable air conditioning and all those types of things. But like it's your machine. Um, most people don't do that. I would really not recommend doing something like that. Um, most people with the very least would do what I think most people call like bare metal managed servers where it's not really your machine. It's a service that they buy machines, they manage machines. If a hard drive dies in the machine, they'll go and fix it for you. But it's you have actual like a dedicated piece of hardware, um, you know, a, a set of hard drives, a motherboard, a CPU that's exactly yours. Um, and you probably don't want that either. I've I've gone down that road. It's fine, but it has a lot of difficulties that you um, aren't really offset by its costs, both in monetary and like ease of use. So most people who end up doing any kind of hosting themselves will use something that's more um, like a VPS, which stands for virtual private server, which is like basically like it's a machine. Um, from your app's perspective, like you are, it, your app sees it, a hard drive, it sees a CPU, it sees memory, um, but all of those aren't, aren't actually physical things. They're, it's running on a shared environment with a bunch of other systems that all see the same things and share resources. Um, and, you know, you can use something like um, Linode for this, or DigitalOcean is another one that's pretty common. In many ways, EC2 kind of runs like this, but it's a bit different. But you have these kinds of systems where you have a virtual Linux machine that you can do, and you have some nice advantages of that because because it's it's virtual. You can do things like pick it up and move it around. Um, you know, like you take a, an image of your hard drive and you can copy it onto another one, um, and things like that that are really easy to manage. And from a cost perspective, it's way cheaper because you're sharing uh, you know server resources. Um, and then above that, you have things like virtual server environments, things like Azure or Heroku. Or total abstractions like CloudKit or Parse or those types of things that are completely abstracting away from you. 
Um, and for, like, like I said, for most people, you probably want to start at a VPS. Like you want to find out where you're comfortable. If you if the thought of administering a Linux server even after this episode is completely overwhelming, like maybe go to something like Heroku or Azure, um, where you have a little bit of control over what you're doing, but mostly there's something there, but it's still at least general purpose. Um, but I think we both run ver- uh, like VPS servers because once you know what you're doing, it's really cheap, it's really efficient, and you have a lot of flexibility that you could move providers, you can spin up new servers and take them down really quickly and easily. Um, and you know, especially like the cost is amazing. I've, it's incredible the amount of performance you can get from a really basic setup. I mean, at this point, I think I administer 19 virtual private servers or something like that to, to run my apps. And it's a pretty big number, but the actual load of that, of actually doing that is pretty straightforward. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and it, things have gotten so cheap over the years. Like I now pay for all of Overcast, which is something like something like 11 VPS instances on, on Linode. I now pay for all of them what I used to pay for one database server for Instapaper uh, back in the day. And that wasn't that long ago. That was like five years ago. <laughs> so what you can get now with, with at the VPS level is just incredibly good. I was the biggest fan of bare metal dedicated servers before, but now even I have converted because you can just, you know, the, the competition, especially between Linode and DigitalOcean has, has really made incredibly fast hardware available for, for almost no money. And it also makes it much easier to learn um, because, you know, it lets you, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but it lets you, you know, if you can just like, in in a in a simple command on a web interface, so not involving buying anything, not involving emailing anybody or placing any orders with anybody, just in a web interface, you can quickly create a, an instance of a, of a server. Then you can do things like, oh, let me see how easy is it to set up PHP or whatever. Like you can do things like that, or you can say, hey, you know, I wonder how whether whether this new distro distro of Linux makes more sense to me, or or I wonder if my software will run on this other distro or this other web server or whatever you can just spin up a new instance in minutes and you know run your install script and and you know try poke around try things out see what works see what you know see what breaks and if if at any point you decide this wasn't for you or this didn't go well you can just delete the instance and you've paid up to that point maybe 50 cents like it's it's crazy how how easy this is to to both administer servers and to learn how to administer servers now in the world of vpss yeah, because it's a lovely thing. Of most of these are are charged by hour of use or something like that, and so you can they're just kind of like utility in that way that you can just spin them up when you want them, spin, take them down when you don't want them anymore, and like it's very straightforward and easy to do in a way that is kind of scary the first time you do it. That you just like hit a button and it's like, oh, here's a machine. Go ahead and SSH into it and get started. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy that, like, you know, one way you could have done it before is by running something like VMware Fusion or Parallels on your computer and virtualizing little Linux setups on your computer and doing that. But now it's so cheap and easy to go do it on Linux or DigitalOcean that it's actually easier to do that than it is to do it on your local computer. Like, now I do all my experimentation on VPSs. I don't even have virtualization software installed anymore on my Mac. Yeah, and I'm the same way. Like the only thing I use my Mac for when I'm doing this kind of thing is like the first level of um, the nice thing about using something like Linux is that it's, you know, they have the basic underpinnings underneath our Macs are like it's, you know, it's some kind of Unix based thing. I couldn't tell you all of the history of it, but functionally, like your Mac is running the same basic stack kernel types of things that your ultimate server is going to run. And so like I use my Mac because 
I can learn and kind of prototype and try some of the things that ultimately I'm going to run on my Linux, on my like main server locally. Like I have a development database that runs on my on my machine. I have a web you know kind of a web server that runs on my local machine, which makes prototyping really quick. But as soon as I want to do anything that's going to be simulating my end environment, I just yeah I just spin up an instance and run it. And I have a couple of just instances that you just bring up, like try, try it out. If it works, great. If it doesn't, you know you can just delete it and start again. So wait, once you've decided you're going to uh, build and build a, a Linux instance and get started, like from that, the actual process is pretty straightforward. You'll go to a, a virtual private server provider and um, just sort of you'll set, set up your instance. It'll give you some credentials and an IP address and a few things that you'll have for like how to log into it. And then you just log in and get started. And for most applications, you're going to install at least two things on that. You're going to install a web server and a database of some kind. And just starting out, you could probably put them both on the same machine. Um, eventually, you'll probably do a thing where you'll split the web database onto its own machine and put a, one or more web servers in front of it. Um, but at the, you know, at the very least, you're going to install some kind of web server environment and some kind of database. Um, the web server that you choose is entirely up to you. Like I use uh, Ruby on Rails for all my backends. I think all of yours are in PHP. Yeah, I mean, and I, I have many opinions on like how you choose these tools. Um, I will summarize them for the sake of this being a short show. I will summarize them as what you want most of all when choosing server software if you don't want to be administering and tweaking with your server constantly. What you want is old, boring, and popular. Those three things, old, boring, and popular. New and trendy does not necessarily always mean better. Um, in this case, you know, Especially like what what makes some people think that the new stuff is better is uh, vague claims of it being quote scalable, um, and beware of any claims of things being scalable because <laughs> uh, it, it, in reality scaling web services up not only is it is it the kind of thing that you will probably never need for almost any project that you do but when you do need it it is way more complicated and there is no silver bullet for scaling. There is nothing that automatically scales, it, uh, unless it also automatically scales all of your, all of your money away. Um, but there, there is nothing that automatically and easily scales. Scaling is always complicated and always tricky. Um, it's just, you know, the new things that claim scalability just scale differently. Uh, and it, the challenges are just different challenges. Um, the newer something is, the, the trendier newer something is, um, that means you know the fewer people have experience with it and and the the sm- the fewer large installations it has and so that means there's less knowledge in the world about how it fails or what the anti patterns of it might be um so as you go lower level in the stack being this kind of conservative preferring things that are old boring and popular uh, becomes more important um so like if you want to use like a brand new cutting edge css library go for it doesn't matter really you know if it works for you go for it your risk is pretty low there uh but you you probably would not want to use a beta version of the linux kernel you know like so like as you go down the stack you want to be more conservative because it's just it's just kind of a bad idea to take risks lower down and i include things like the database in that you know mysql and postgres are great they're battle tested they they are old boring and popular that is what you want in your database just like you wouldn't want a trendy new kind of brakes on your car like you want time-tested brakes that everyone knows works and everyone knows that you aren't going to be pushing the boundaries of them um you know you want a a really boring database um and i would say you want a a really boring language too because really new cutting-edge languages are still in flux 
and so if you want to have this kind of like set it and forget it kind of server approach, you don't want to have to deal with a, a, a young language's uh, frequent changes and frequent needs for being updated. Um, you know, you want to minimize anything that will require your attention or that might break your app. So you want to minimize the need for you know, backwards incompatible uh, updates and things like that, uh, or crashes and, you know, having to install little bug fixes constantly for the for the language or database you're using, you want to avoid all of that. Because new really, new means untested or less tested. Um, another thing that you hit with new stuff is in the language layer, uh, new means that you have fewer third-party libraries and, and generally less third-party code. And this is a problem like I, I've been using PHP forever, and PHP third-party code is mostly garbage, but there is so much of it out there that any any need that I have, I can find something to do it. And it isn't always good, but I can find something. Um, and as I've, I've started writing some newer things in Go... And Go, I like as a language conceptually, but there because it's such a such a younger language and it isn't that popular yet, and might never become popular. Who knows? But because it's it's younger and less popular, uh, there is very little third party Go code uh, for some very common things that I keep needing to do. And I keep I, every time I need to write something new in Go, I hit this wall of oh, I'll just load up the you know Markdown module, and then I look and there's like three of them that are all kind of half-baked and, you know, and I haven't lived in a while for Markdown, so maybe that's a bad example. But I keep hitting that wall whenever I do anything in a new language of, oh, I, I just want to see how, oh, how do I resize an image? Oh, well, you kind of can't, or unless you do this. And so it's always easier to use old, boring, and popular stuff. It may be less interesting. And if you are the kind of person who wants, you know, cutting-edge languages and who, who finds that satisfying, then you will trade time and maintenance for that. And so if for the goal of low maintenance and, and you know low server maintenance, I highly suggest that you use other parts of your app to get the kind of like newness out of your system. Like, yeah, use the higher level parts or use maybe the iOS side of it. If, if you have an iOS and a web app, use that side of it to, to do new cool stuff and make the server as boring, old, and popular as possible. Because old, boring, popular stuff works it really works it hardly ever breaks and if and you will never be the biggest person using it because long before you know even suppose that you build something with old boring stuff suppose it gets like the size of etsy right etsy is huge it's not the biggest website on the on the internet but it's huge right it gets the size of etsy if you get that big will you be the biggest user of anything in your stack because once you're the biggest user of like your database or something, then you basically become a developer of that database. Like you will hit all the bugs. You will have to go in and make patches yourself to customize things that aren't working or that aren't working well or aren't working right for you. You know, so like Facebook, it, Facebook rolls out tons of patches or things. Twitter has rolled out tons of patches or things like Memcache. I mean, like there's there's all these like big companies, all these big web, web companies end up having to basically partially take over parts of the stack they depend on open source wise and make their own contributions and fixes because they hit tons of bugs you never want to be the biggest user of anything in your stack and you know when you start out of course you won't be the biggest user of basically anything but you could become the biggest user like you'd be surprised you know you hear about new trendy things but you'd be surprised how few big companies actually use them um, so you never want to be the biggest user of anything. You want Facebook to have fixed every bug in that stack years before you ever hit it. Yeah. Because I think we're, I we're both coming at it from the perspective of being app developers. Like, what makes our apps cool is not the backend stack. That's got nothing to do with, like, the thing that I'm going to be marketing my app as. Like, my customers shouldn't care. No one, like, 
it's only it exists for the sole purpose of just getting a job done. Like my most of my backends are the most ridiculously boring, simple applications <laughs> that I can possibly make it. I put all the as much logic and smarts as I can um, in the apps itself. Like the database is just it's mostly just a nice wrapper for a database and something that's simple and straightforward that I can set up and then I never think about again. Like the only time I ever really think about my databases is or like my my servers is like when there's some big security thing that I need to make sure was auto updated um, or I'm adding major new functionality to the front end to my applications and then I have to go back and um, like, you know, a- add something to it. But otherwise, I just want it as simple and basic as can be. It's just like a big, it's just like a big database that I, just a database that I can put things in and then later get them out. And as long as I can do that, I'm good. And and if anything, when you're using old, boring, and popular, if anything ever goes wrong, or if you have any questions whatsoever, or anything comes up, you can just search the web and you have hundreds of answers from the thousands of other people who have used that already and have documented it like three years earlier. Like so like it's just it's so much easier to to make your 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 server side stack something that you can easily forget about most of the time and you you don't even have to deal with it. Exactly. And I guess once you once you decide on which one you want to do, it's like the process from there is honestly pretty straightforward. You pick something, you install it. Um, usually, these kind of things have a pretty straightforward install process. Like if you're, you'll, there's usually be some kind of version of like, go get me MySQL, go get me Postgres, go get me nginx, go get me Apache, and the server will go get it, install it, configure it. You'll change a few configuration files and you'll be up and running because it's boring and <laughs> yep. the, the process that of getting it set up has been done by thousands of people. So everything's automated and scripted. And the only thing that I'd mention there is one thing that I learned early on is once I've set up a server, the first kind of what the first time for, I always, um, I document how I did it, like the steps I did. And then I will usually destroy what I did the first time and do it again to make sure I actually know what I'm doing to avoid the situation where down the road you are trying to like recreate a web server and you can never get it to work quite right. <laughs> and it turns out it's because the first time you did it, you did this step that you forgot to document. And so that was like my one little pro, first little pro tip is like the first time you, when you think you got it right, that's great. Now do it again. Because if you, if it works the second time, then you know, you actually understand your, your, your setup and could, would be able to do it multiple times if down the road you need to because when you need to do it down the road it's usually under some kind of duress because you're like wow things are going really well i need another web server to keep up with the load like that's a good thing but it's also a bit of an urgent thing yeah and vpss make this so much easier because not only can you like you know you can just clone a server you already have if you need to but also like you can do things like you know automate this with a big shell script as you as you figure out like this is what i do like whenever i have to install you know something new or change something i i format everything i'm doing as a shell script as i'm going uh and then i can then i can rerun it on a fresh server from a vps like you know so just what you said like you can kind of verify your work um and it's it's so much easier oh man it's like doing this and i should also say like anything that is not really easy to install from a package manager like if if suppose you're looking at you know uh, i'm looking at some php library to manipulate an image or something you know this is just a weird example um and if there's like three of them and one of them is in the re- the repository that my server comes with like the the yum or apt-get repo like one of them is in the repo and i can install it with what with you know one word on the command line and one of them needs to be built from source i'm going with the one in the repo <laughs> because like that's like anything as a general rule of thumb 
anything that you need to build from source or manually download from somewhere that is not in your package manager, try to avoid needing that. And you, and everything becomes a lot easier. And package managers are not flawless. You know, sometimes you'll hit some weird conflict, but that's very rare. If you, especially if you stick with the with like the the default repositories that come configured with it, um, because those are so heavily tested by other people. And again, old, boring, and popular that you might not be able to use the newest version of something or the, or a cutting edge feature of something or or an obscure module of something. But if you can if you can get away with not using it, you are saving yourself time in the future. Exactly. We're sponsored this week by our friends at Igloo, uh, the intranet you will actually like. With Igloo, you don't have to be stuck at your desk to do your work. You can manage your task list from your laptop during a meeting. You can share status updates from your phone as you're leaving a client site. You can even access the latest version of a file from your home. Uh, Whether you're wearing pants or pajamas or anything, nobody will even know. These days, everything is mobile. Your work should be too. Now, if you've ever looked at a corporate intranet, you've possibly thought... Whoever designed this must truly hate me and everyone I know. With Igloo, those days are over. Igloo intranets are actually places you want to be. They're surprisingly configurable. You can even customize it and rebrand it to give it the look and feel of your team. They have group spaces, role-based access permissions, easy-to-use drag-and-drop widget editors, so you can reorganize the whole platform to fit exactly how your teams work. Now, of course, today, mobile is everywhere. Igloo is great on mobile. They are fully responsive. They work on every device, any screen size. New devices come out, they work on day one, and they have all these great integrations with modern services that you actually use. Things like Box, Google Drive, Dropbox, all of this is integrated into one big, easy-to-secure platform. They do things like 256-bit encryption, single sign-on, Active Directory integrations. You, If you know what any of those things are, you know how safe and secure Igloo is. So share your files with your coworkers for everyone to collaborate on. Do everything you want inside your intranet with Igloo. Break away from the intranet that you hate. Go sign up for Igloo right now, and you can try it for free for any team with up to 10 people for as long as you want. Sign up at igloosoftware.com slash radar. Once again, that's igloosoftware.com slash radar. Start your free trial today. Thank you so much to Igloo for supporting Under the Radar and all of Relay FM. Okay, so once you now have this um, the server set up, it's running your systems up and going. The thing that, of course, seems worth pointing out is some of the lessons we've learned um, about how things typically go wrong. Um, when they actually, you know, so if you got this deployed, you got it running, hopefully you have something running to monitor it. Um, I think I use Pingdom. I don't know uh, what you use, but you have some kind of call where... I also use Pingdom. There you go. They're a great service. Yep. They just, um, you give them a URL and they will hit it. And one thing I always like with those kinds of URLs is don't point it to like the root URL of your site to make sure that it's up. Like, have a special URL that it hits that will test your whole stack. You know, so it'll go down to the database, make sure the database is running. Um, it, if you have like a, ser- a searching, a search, you know, query system, like it'll go and hit that and then report back results so that you're actually testing your whole thing. But, you know, you have something that's testing it. Every now and then you'll get a little message that says, oh, it's down. Like, why is that? Um, and usually on the nice thing, like it doesn't actually happen very often. Like for running of as many services, I think we both run like outages are pretty rare. Things are pretty reliable and stable these days. Um, like in general, like every now and then you'll hit some kind of network outage in the data center, which you can't really do anything about, which is awesome because you can't do anything about it. Yeah. You know, you go, you go on Twitter and you apologize to your users and you just wait for the host to fix it. Yeah. And that's great. It's it's there's nothing to be done, and that's going to happen no matter where you are too. Like mm-hmm. or, originally, I think, oh well, you know, maybe I if I was using something else, I wouldn't have this problem. But it's like 
everything has this problem. Yes. Like I've been on a lot of hosts before. They've all had outages. Yeah, like those are just built into it. Um, but like beyond that, there's not that many of things that happen. Like usually the issues I run into, like the most common thing that um, I'll hit is something like a machine will run out of disk space, which seems kind of basic, but it's happened to me several times where it turns out I have some log file that isn't being rotated correctly. And it's, you know, it's just like I, my machine is completely out of space. And so something, so it'll just like start falling over in a really confusing way. So I just go and check on my servers every now and then. Uh, and just like make sure that they have space and the space isn't getting smaller and smaller because most servers should just be very stable and unchanging. And once you do that, things are are pretty good. And then you run into, unfortunately, the, 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 the next most likely case of problems is probably what we would call human error. <laughs> and unfortunately, you are the human that is causing the error. Um, so we've and if, when you're administering your own servers, you have all these little opportunities for you to do something that ends up breaking your backend. Um, I've run a deployment to one of my to my feed, uh, RSS syncing system feed wrangler, where I rolled a deployment out that dropped the main feed item table accidentally. That was that was an interesting test of how good my backup strategy was, um, and t- you know, took the service down for four hours. But you know that's why you have backups. And that's why you eventually learn to be very, very, very careful whenever you're touching your production databases. <laughs> yes. And yeah, database backup is very, very important. Um, every VPS provider I know of uh, supports snapshotting the machine's backup. Usually you have to do something special to backup a database because you can't just like copy the file and have it be consistent. Uh, but there are tools for every popular database to take like snapshot backups of them uh, and dump them into files or whatever. So, so look into that for your database of choice. For MySQL, well, it's definitely uh, uh, extra backup is the one I recommend from Percona. Postgres probably, it, uh, you Postgres people, you're probably like, oh, well, it just automatically does this for you. You don't have to even think about it because Postgres is amazing and MySQL is, you know, bad. But right, is that is that roughly correct? Um, not exactly. I use a thing called Wally um, as, as my backup system, which is yeah, like the nice thing about it, most good backup systems too with databases is they can often allow you to do point in time recovery. Mm-hmm which is really helpful for that kind of a human error problem where you issued a particular command at a particular time and that destroyed all your data. So like, even if you had like your backup, if you had a snapshot right afterwards, like wouldn't you, you know, it's, it's not like you need to recreate the database. You need to go back in time and like undo queries. And so if you have an, a system where that uses point in time recovery, um, which I know like Wally does, and I'm sure there's MySQL things that do the same thing. Like you can kind of replay what your database was doing and recreate it like just before you were an idiot, yep. which binary logging in MySQL. <laughs> yeah. Which is awesome. Like <laughs> yep. being able to do that is a tremendously helpful thing. Hopefully you never use it, but um, you know, I think it, given that we've both done it or, or done things like that, it will probably happen at some point and you just want to be prepared. Oh yeah. One thing also, uh, you know, earlier we talked about automating as much as possible with the setup, as much as you can automate the uh, the health of your servers. Like, you know, Pingdom monitoring for the overall uptime of your app is great. One thing I do to prevent, like, your disk space issue is I have two Pingdom alerts for any service I run. One of them is, is it up? And that one's on high alert. If anything goes down, uh, it, it, that like, the main site is down, then 
everything of mine beeps and vibrates <laughs> like everything alerts me but i also have have a lower class one um usually called stats or vitals where that hits a special url which checks all the servers for things like low disk space and very high cpu load and things like that and it it gives pingdom a down result if anything like that is out of whack and then it's logged in a place that i can see like what caused this so i can see oh at you know at noon every day this server has a really high load or i can see oh this server right here has low disk space right now so i'm never surprised by things like low disk space or very high load because i have that automated and being automatically checked by another pingdom check yeah that's a great idea like it's 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 those types of things that you're just trying to think of ways to anticipate the problem before it happens. Yeah, I mean, even like a low-tech version of that, which I've done on, on some servers, is you just put a cron job that runs every five minutes that emails you if disk space is too low. Yeah. Worst case scenario, you wake up to a pile of 40 emails, okay, you go you go and fix it. Like, So it's, yeah, it's great. It, There's so many easy ways to do this kind of automated maintenance of servers now. Like, it, it's Running a server is really not as hard as you might think if you've never done it before. Yeah. And I really think that if you can't, if the things that we're talking about this week sound scary, like that's an important thing to get over and get used to and comfortable with. Um, because as a developer, it's just like, it feels like it's like in some ways, like a very basic skill that if you can't do, you're kind of holding both your, your work back in terms of the things that the, the level of complexity of their projects you want to, you can take on as well as your career in terms of like the things that you're able to do and the things that, you know, the jobs that you could potentially get and those kinds of things. Like these are useful skills that don't go out of date. If you know at a basic level, like how to administer a server, that's always going to be useful and interesting. Like, I don't think that's going away. Like as much as new high level abstractions and things appear, like that's cool and all, but like Unix has been around for a very long time for very good reasons. All right, we're out of time this week. We'll probably cover more of these topics in the future or expand on them. So keep listening if you want more of this or anything else for that matter, because we are great and you should keep listening to our show. (laughs) Thanks a lot for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.